episode 1014 of Tall Can Audio, off and running. Hope you're all having a great week so far. My name's Matt Robinson, coming to you from our studio in beautiful Bytown, Canada. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Tall Can Audio. Give us a follow there. We'd love to hear what you guys have to say about uh, about these episodes we're doing and everything else that's going on in the world of craft beer, the world of sports. Uh, we love interacting with you guys, so give us a follow there. Make sure you're subscribed and following on your podcast app as well. Great show today as uh, Sean Fitzgerald from The Athletic is going to join me in just a minute. Sean covers all things uh, sports media for The Athletic, so uh, looking forward to uh, chatting with him. He's been on a couple times before, uh, really interesting guy, like talking to him quite a bit. So we'll get to that uh, in just a second. Just want to lay out what else is coming up on the podcast here for you in the next couple of days. Uh, on Wednesday, our buddy Arden Zwelling from Sportsnet will jump back in. We'll talk about uh, the Blue Jays. That won't be until late in the day, probably late afternoon. You can keep an eye out for that one. Um, man, an interesting weekend for the Blue Jays. When Rob and I were in here talking on uh, on Sunday, the Jays were in position to win and the Yanks were in position to lose. Neither of those things happened. And uh, so the Jays fell actually a little bit further behind New York for the division lead. Uh, would have been really interesting had they closed to within four and a half there on Sunday. That did not happen, but they are in great spot here to uh, to still make the playoffs. Uh, as we get ready here today, they're kicking off a little mini-series with the Phillies. That'll be fun. But uh, Arden Zwelling, uh, guy who uh, always makes time for us on the show, uh, he will join me on Wednesday. Like I said, that'll be later in the day, though, so keep an eye out for that. And then uh, Shrides returns for the Thursday show. And uh, that will be coming at you from the Nita Beer Company. We're going to hang out uh, over there. We're going to chat a little bit uh, with the usual, you know, sports news of the day. And then uh, we're going to have Andy Nita, the uh, the grand poobah from the Nita Beer Company, join us towards the end of the show and talk about a couple things they got coming up, including the, uh, the launch of the annual uh, craft beer advent calendar. And of course... <laughs> The Nita Beer Oktoberfest, which is this Saturday, September 24th at 190 Colonnade Road. That is the home of the Nita Beer Company. Uh, tickets and more information are available at nitabeer.com. That's N-I-T-A beer.com. And uh, with your ticket, you get in, get yourself a brat with all the uh, traditional German fixins, get yourself a, uh, a stein that you can take home with you, but uh, it's going to come with with one of Nita's beers already poured for you in it uh, when you arrive, so that's going to be fun as well. Uh, It sounds like it's going to be a great event. Andy goes uh, big into the German heritage, so we're looking forward to talking to him about what's coming up at that Oktoberfest on our next episode. But in the meantime, if you know you want to check it out, looking for something to do on a Saturday afternoon, then uh, check it out at nitabeer.com. Get more information, get your tickets there. With all that out of the way, happy to be welcoming back to the show from The Athletic. Sean Fitzgerald here uh, is here. How is it going today, man? It's going well. Thanks for having me. I'm off to a good start here already, tripping over my tongue. Um, a few hey, it's preseason. It's preseason. It's only September. We're good. Uh, all right. Trip away. I'll take, I'll take that. Uh, I appreciate it. I saw you got to talk to, uh, to Gibby for a piece today, starting up a podcast. How are things with, uh, with John Gibbons? Yeah, you know, I don't, not that he'd ever remember me, nor should he, but I mean, I remember covering him ever so briefly during spells during his first tour of duty uh, with the Blue Jays. And yeah, I mean, he seems to be who you seem to see on TV every time he appears. Um, I mean, it's been written about ever since he came up with the New York Mets in the 1980s, but um, he really does seem to be a human being who has a total lack of pretense about him. Um, yeah, he was, he was really interesting to speak with. I thought one of the questions you asked him was, was really interesting and it's in a 20 questions piece. We'll link to it here in the, in the show notes, but you asked him, 
how come a right-leaning Texan is able to be so beloved here in fairly left-leaning Toronto? And it's something I'd never really considered before. I, I try not, honestly, to find out too much about my the people I like <laughs> in sports, what their political leanings might be. Uh, they make a lot more money than me, so I'm pretty sure I know what a lot of their political leanings might be. But um, it was an interesting thing that I hadn't really considered before. What did he have to say about it? Yeah, I, I imagine it'd be really tough to be a fan of golf as you know a left-leaning Canadian, like like you're a card-carrying member of the Liberals or the NDP, and you just live and die with golf. And, right. and how crestfallen you'd be every time you go down the money list and you get down to like 300 before you find the first non-Republican. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the shorter version, the shortest answer is he doesn't really talk about any of that stuff in public, right? Because yeah. Again, you know, so much of sports, you know, it is entertainment, whether we like it or not. And there's there's a very good reason why so often celebrities, when they're in celebrity magazines, don't wade into politics because they want you to suspend your disbelief. And I think that, you know, directly or indirectly, we've seen that go into sports where, especially in these hyperpolarized times in this environment in which we live, uh, yeah, I mean, every time you weigh in on an opinion, you're going to... Um, have a segment of the population that doesn't agree with you and certain segments are louder than others. So, um, I, I think that, you know, uh, it shouldn't really surprise really anybody that, um, <laughs> folks don't talk about politics if they can, for all intents and purposes to sustain whatever enterprise they have going, um, can avoid it. Yeah. It goes all the way back to that Michael Jordan Republicans wear shoes too, right? Or whatever it was, sneakers or... Uh, no, that's it. That's exactly it, right? Yeah. Like it's... And now, I mean, with social media and because, I mean, he's sort of, you know, John Gibbons has launched into, I guess we can call it, you know, John Gibbons Enterprises, right? Like he he had a book coming out. He's got... He was planning a podcast. So how do you get the word out about that when you're not in the public eye as often as he was when he's on Sportsnet every day for the Blue Jays? Well... He gets into social media. He has an Instagram account. He opened Twitter in August. Um, he's Big doing lots of media. <laughs> so, um, you know, if you do study it, um, I know there have been folks who have been asking. Um, and there have obviously been sort of, you know, skirmishes, I guess, with politics in terms of does he start talking about it? But no, um, I think he's, you know, studiously avoiding that kind of stuff. Probably uh, a good call. Uh, one of the other things I wanted to ask you about here is, I don't know, it, it's kind of a dicey subject, I guess, maybe more for them than, than for you and I, but uh, right now, TSN's relationship with Hockey Canada, and we saw over the summer uh, a World Juniors that was already going to be a tough sell in August, um, and then the Hockey Canada news starts to come out, and uh, they're called before Parliament, and um, just misstep after misstep in terms of how they were handling this, in terms of how they were reading the public's reaction to it. And when TSN kicked off their coverage of the World Juniors, they dedicated the entire pregame show of the first Canada, uh, Team Canada game to talking about this issue. And I thought that was a good first step. Um, you know, it's it's not a, a small event for them. It's This is their... Uh, marquee event throughout the year and they are going to give a good half hour to this conversation and then it kind of disappeared for the rest of the tournament was that sort of how you would have predicted that would go do you thought think they could have done more throughout the tournament like what was your sort of takeaway with how TSN handled it well, I think first and foremost you have to take a step back maybe a couple of steps back and one sort of recognize that you know Rick Westhead 
um, along with others, but I mean, Rick Westhead has, has really led the reporting on this, North right? West, like he had yeah. in there and he has pushed it and he has pushed it through. And I mean, you know, I work at the athletic, but I, you know, Katie Strang, Dan mm-hmm. Robson, Ian Mendez, there are journalists out there who are doing, <coughs> excuse me, fantastic work into a really difficult subject. And CBC has done some phenomenal work as well. Um, but I mean, really, you know, if you have a captain who's, you know, centering that first line, I mean, if you have, you know, you know, you know, Rick Westhead would, would have to be the center and mm-hmm. the captain on that line, right? Like he's been, he's been really digging and really pushing and, and really coming up and unearthing a lot of this stuff that, you know, I'm not sure how much we'd be talking about it if, if, if it wasn't for his reportage into this. Right. So first you take the step back and it's, yeah, this is a TSN story again with, you know, the athletic and the CBC and other outlets pushing as well, but it's a Rick, Rick Westhead TSN led story. So the conversation about what this means with TSN's relationship with Hockey Canada has to go back well before the World Juniors. That I mean, TSN is a network that that lost the rights to the NHL, the national rights to the NHL when it lost Sportsnet, right? When it lost to Sportsnet mm-hmm. with that massive multi-billion dollar deal. So what you have is you have TSN has certain pillars of its annual programming schedule. And, you know, the season of champions curling is a big one. Um, the CFL is a big one. Um, you know, you have football, you have NCAA properties, you have regional hockey, and then you have Hockey Canada. And it's it's not just World Juniors. It's it's the World Championships. It's the, all the major women's events. It's the, the things that you forget about, like the TELUS Cup and all this random stuff that pops up through the course of the year. Like, oh, yeah, by the way, um, that's all part of the relationship. And one of the most lucrative is obviously the world juniors. So um, the conversation about all of this can't just be distilled down to how they broadcasted during the world juniors. This was a massive, I would argue, commitment to journalism, frankly, by TSN, led by Rick Westhead and, you know, the producers and executives who are working with him on that team um, that they pushed through and said, you know what, we have this massive corporate tie, but we're journalists. And we're going to do journalism. We're and going that's to allow you to damage one of our partners, essentially. Well, I mean, tell the story. Yeah. Get to the truth. Yeah. I think that that's the commitment. That's, you know, and, and you know, I've, I've tried to get folks to talk about it. Um, they haven't <laughs> been willing to. But, yeah, I think that's that's a really interesting story. Like the, the fact that, you know, as a media story that, um, you know, Rick Westhead has done some fantastic work. Um, a lot of fantastic work, frankly, and has led this story a lot. And it happens to be one of TSN's major partners. Which is the bigger deal? And, and you know, is do we deserve or should we give it? Should we be giving TSN credit for covering this thing that clearly needs to be covered, even though it is one of their financial um, ten posts or big events throughout the year, or should we be more alarmed or more talking about Sportsnet and how little they've touched on it? And and we have seen it creep up a little bit, but nowhere near to the same amount. And we can do the same criticism in the past, like Rick Westhead also went hard after the NHL after the NHL became a partner of Sportsnet, right? He's done a lot of work on concussions and uh, the things that went on with the Chicago Blackhawks. Like, should we have expected more from Sportsnet, or is it just that this is a Rick Westhead story he had at first, and and this sort of lives in house with uh, you know, kind of kudos to Bell Media for letting them go ahead and do this. 
I mean, there's not a lot of Rick Westheads in the world. No. That's the other point of this, right? That that he has this focus, he has this drive, he has this ability, he has this skill, um, and he has this this tenacity. And yeah, like he's been reporting on things that have been going on for a lot of years that haven't gotten a lot of coverage before. And I, I really do think that, you know, there is a lot of credit there right. with Rick and the work that he's done and the team around him at TSN. So with that in mind, were you surprised with, I guess, like, did you see ratings coming out of World Juniors? Have you been able to parse, you know, how much, uh, certainly even in attendance, it was clear that... Hey, Matt, I'm not going to lie to you, Matt. Yeah. Uh, During the World Juniors, I was on vacation. I was unplugged. I was away. I was almost completely unaware that they happened. (laughs) I did not watch a single second of it, nor have I checked the ratings. So fair enough. uh, I can judge just by, you know slowly meandering back to reality after that yeah it wasn't hugely widely received but again it's summer we get 23 minutes of summer every year in this country (laughs) nobody should be expected to go in and sit and watch hockey uh during the summer i think that should be an article in our constitution it's not but if i'm elected i will see to that so you would imagine that it had far more to do with the summer than the scandal that hockey came. No, is going no, 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 oh. no. Um, again, not having parsed the numbers or really done right. a lot of digging into this. I think you can all throw it into the salad bowl and it all sort of produces what, what you're seeing, which is, yeah, like, like hockey Canada as a brand has tumbled so far down the mountain that you almost need a shovel to find it in the Valley now. Um, and so that would be part of it. The summer's part of it. Hockey fatigue, I think in this country is also going to be part of it. Um, that, yeah, we've, we've hit a limit of how much we're willing to consume as Canadians and that's fair and normal and kind of healthy that you shouldn't need to watch this thing 12 months a year. (laughs) Um, one of the things that we saw over the last couple of weeks was, uh, a guy who, I've always quite enjoyed, I don't think I'm anywhere near alone in that, is is Stephen Brunt announced that he was leaving Sportsnet. And he had been doing a radio show uh, with Ben Ennis in the afternoon. Um, He goes a long way back as a writer, obviously, but I guess it would have been kind of the mid-2000s. You know, you'd see him a lot co-hosting with Bob McCown. That relationship, I guess, got a little bit rocky at certain points, but... Uh, he stuck around with Sportsnet. He did a bunch of really great um, video essays on all kinds of different subjects. Most people remember the ones from the Vancouver Olympics. Uh, were you surprised to see that um, a guy that is that highly regarded in the industry was was leaving Sportsnet? Yeah, I mean, it's you want to say surprise, but I guess in the current media environment, especially with what the two Canadian telcos have been doing with Bell and Rogers. Um, I don't know if surprise can be the word anymore, that um, so many names, so many recognizable faces um, have either parted ways or parted uh, with those two companies over the last five years. Um, Stephen Brunt is a big surprise still, in having said that, um, just because of what you said, because of, of who he is, what he's done, um, his impact, his connection with the audience. I mean, for those who are old enough, um, he was one of the foremost sports columnists in Canada for a long, long time. Um, lots of people grew up reading him, myself included. Um, just an incredible talent, incredible storyteller, incredible journalist telling lots of stories. Transition to, you know, electronic media. And again, yeah, like major spots, like literal prime time. That's what they called the show, right? <laughs> yes. Like, um, So moving on from him, I think 
you know, the question is then, you know, what is the plan? What is the plan at Sportsnet and 590? Um, for the radio, frankly, I think it signals that, that maybe Sportsnet has along the way decided that, you know, radio as we know it um, isn't, isn't something that's going to be a, a going concern for the company, that it's, it's going to maintain the signal because it has the Blue Jays and, you know, vertical integration and all that stuff. But um, the days of, you know, getting out there and really, you know, putting billboards up saying, come listen to this on an AM frequency, um, this signals to me maybe once and for all that, that they're moving past that. The last time you were on, I believe, it was to talk about Sportsnet 590's uh, move to more of a almost like podcast setup. We'll, we'll just run these podcasts through the day and we're going to do it in blocks. We'll have a baseball show, then a basketball show, then a hockey show. How has that worked uh, to your mind? As I was pretty skeptical going in. I think a lot of people were, uh, even outside of Brunt leaving. What has your sort of takeaway been? We're about a year into that now. How has it gone? Sports radio is in a tough spot. That's not breaking news. That's not a headline alert that's going to go to your phone. Um, I mean, people still aren't back at the office, right? And the, and the bread and butter of sports radio traditionally under its model was, you know, the morning when you're going to, you know, you're going into work, you got maybe a, a boatload of kids that you're dropping off at school. So you got to flip around, you got to listen to the traffic, you got to listen to the weather. And then in a couple of quiet moments when the little urchins aren't screaming in the back seat, maybe you can listen to the morning show. Um, and then the afternoon, that's where the that's that's where the money is, right? Because the feeling generally is in the afternoon. You know, <laughs> maybe the kids uh, are home from school already, and you can finally get in your car, do that awful long drive through the traffic, and sort of pick your own shot, right? Like mm -hmm. you can listen to sports talk, so you can settle in in the old days and listen to Brunt and McCowan or the round table um, or, or overdrive or, you know, their predecessors at TSN radio and you're not going to change it. So people are getting back into the office, but at a hybrid, um, maybe they're only going two days a week. Maybe they're not going in at all. Uh, maybe they're still working remotely, which means that you're probably not going to be listening to the radio on a traditional way. Um, Cause I mean, really, if you really stop and think about it, how many of us still have, transistor radios in the house even yeah. right like um you don't so that hurts right there so they lost a ton of revenue um when the world shut down in march 2020 and you know a big part of that still not returning i still believe that the format the platform um still has a lot of runway i still believe that that I, I think you take a look in the U.S., you take a look at markets like Boston, Chicago, Minneapolis, St. Louis. I mean, take a look around. Like, there's there's lots of sports radio that's, I mean, I, I thriving might be a strong word, but, but still, you know, drawing big numbers, still making some money. Um, I think it's here, and you're starting to see this on the TV side, that, you know, <laughs> All of our electronic sports in Canada is controlled by two telecommunication yeah. companies and the firewall between who's in TV and who's in radio and who's charging you your, um, you know, your digital and, and your, your cell rates, like it's gone. So it's being run like a telecommunications company when it can't be like that. Yeah, it, it it's strange to me because I, I almost feel like they've, pushed themselves maybe more at the fan than on TSN. I, I guess I don't really know, but it, it feels like they've pushed themselves into um, this self-fulfilling prophecy where 
it it's gotten expensive, so you cut a couple big names loose, but those were the people I was tuning in for, so now I don't listen as much, so now you lose more money, and so you cut more people loose, and the station gets uh, younger, and in some cases, not better. Sometimes it is. It's people trying to find their voice, but those tent posts or those pillars that used to bring me in are sort of gone, and there's less and less reason, um, I don't know, to listen. It seems like it's kind of eating itself alive a bit. Well, and also you need to make a push to, you know, when you do make changes, you need to have the, the backing to sort of get those changes out there, right? That um, one of the big arguments of, you know, why the telcos are good for sports radio is that, you know, remember when Overdrive was making its big push that you saw Overdrive advertised on TSN, like mm-hmm. TV, often. Um, they had big wraparound banners outside Scotiabank Arena with the, the four faces staring at it. But that's, that's a lot of promotion that if like, you know, your local barber and dentist own the local talk radio frequency. Like, they don't have the money to do that, right? right. So that's a big deal. Um, that being said, you know, I don't think as you're you're taking a look around today that you see that kind of investment. You don't see, you know, back in the old days when the fan was, was still young that, you know, they had TV commercials with Bob McCown going golfing with Ricky Henderson and then Doug Gilmore and saying, hey, the fan is here, the fan is here, watch this, listen to the fan, do this, do that. You're not seeing that external promotion as much anymore. Um, and I think that, yeah, if you don't advertise, then how are you really going to grow your audience? Uh, it's true. If we could circle back just before we move off it then to Brunt, um, what do you suppose might be next for him is, uh, I, I can't imagine he's really interested in going back to to writing um, full time. I don't know if the newspaper industry could uh, could support what I would imagine his salary demands would be at this time. Um, maybe it's just that he's less interested in being a five day a week radio host, although I know he gets quite a generous uh, summer vacation. Um, what do you think might be next for him? Is it possible that there is, uh, is, is it Bell and TSN who own the World Cup rights? Might that be a pull for him? What do you think's coming? Yeah, I mean, World Cup rights are tricky because, I mean, if you're looking at visas and getting everything over there, um, accommodation, it, it's getting a little bit tight. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the shortest answer is, you know, what's he going to do next? I think it's whatever he wants to do, right. honestly. Um, I mean, it's Stephen Brunt. He's one of the, the foremost voices in Canadian sports media uh, and has been for a generation and will likely continue to be for as long as he wants to do it. So, um, you know, whether that's writing more books, whether that's maybe freelancing, um, you know, popping up on CBC for Olympic coverage or, or who knows what, maybe going back to, you know, once or twice a week as a column in a newspaper or, or anywhere like he, he can do anything he wants on all three platforms, right? Television, radio, and, and print. So, um, the very shortest answer is that whenever, whenever this bio, uh, opens the door, um, I would suspect that he'll, he'll show up wherever he wants. Uh, one of the big reasons I wanted to have you on was you recently, wrote, yeah, was one of, uh, uh, you recently wrote a piece about, uh, Leafs TV, which I was fascinated by. And I, I, I have thought for quite a while that one of the details you touched on has long gone under discussed. And I've always wondered if I was making too much of it or if it was a real factor. And that is, um, when Leafs TV starts up, it's just, you know, here's some documentaries on old Leafs and we've got some pre and post game shows and stuff. But when it started having games, and I can remember it was the first year, maybe it was seven games. I don't remember. They got up to maybe 11 or 13 games at their highest point. And all of a sudden 
Bell and Rogers swoop in by MLSE with the Raptors and the Leafs and everything that goes along with that. And my thought was always those two channels would have been in huge trouble if the Leafs had ever decided to keep their own rights in-house. And obviously the national games are what they are. You'd be on hockey night every Saturday and the playoffs or whatever. But the games that you would sell to TSN uh, and to Sportsnet, if they ended up on Leafs TV as did, you know, all the Raptors games, and this isn't uncommon. We see the MSG network in the U.S. We see Ness in in, uh, in the Northeast there. You know, those networks would lose huge, um, you know, ratings points and, and nights, and th- those events are irreplaceable if you're going to run a, a sports network in Canada. How much of a factor was it, do you think, that they might have been a little afraid that the Leafs might just start keeping those assets for themselves as opposed to selling them off and having those two com- uh, companies buy the the whole thing. Yeah, it's a fascinating conversation. I mean, on one hand, you have uh, the Leafs who, you know, Richard Petty, the former CEO, has, has said that, you know, all of the rights deals were coterminous. So the, the Leafs and Raptors, um, you know, they, they had the Raptors rights to go across the country. So they had national Raptors rights. They had Leafs regional rights um, and they had TFC and they were all coming up in the same year that the rights deals um, that the plan was, yeah, to to take TFC, to take the Leafs regional rights, to take the Raptors, any rights they wanted, really um, all the Marley's games you could handle um, and put them into what was going to be real sports networks. So this network was going to have a studio across uh, the street from the arena in, in what is now a real sports uh, bar and grill. Um, they're going to have basically their own network. I mean, summer, summer programming was going to be a little thin. <laughs> I think, I think there was a, a quote that an unnamed uh, television executive gave to actually Rick Westhead at the Toronto star way, way, way back. And it was, you know, what are they going to show in the sum- summer? Like Wendell Clark fishing. Um, <laughs> And that was going to be the linchpin of their programming. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, in theory, this thing would have changed the landscape of sports media in Canada. Um, Least regional rights. That's that's big money. Uh, The Raptors, uh, TFC, all of it in-house creating a a competitor to I mean, back then, I think the score was also still a viable thing. Um, You had TSN, you had Sportsnet, you had CBC that hadn't fully divested itself of professional sports. Like this would have been another new player. This this would have theoretically uh, been a whole new ballgame. But um, so folks within MLSE, depending on the moment you catch them or depending on the voice, um, do believe that, you know, these talks, which had been more advanced, I think, than than we knew again, credit to Rick Westhead. you know, after the fact, but, but he did have this story at the time, um, of just how advanced these talks were. Um, but there were challenges and, and, you know, these were also addressed at the time. I think Jonathan Gatehouse and McLean's had a, had a story about it too. But, um, so what you've done by keeping the lease rights in house is probably not make a lot of friends at Bell and Rogers, right? Yeah. So when you turn around to say, okay, well, we want carriage for real sports on Bell and Rogers, how much help do you think you're going to get from Bell and Rogers? Right. Probably so, not all. As opposed to their TV channels, Sportsnet and TSN, I still need Bell Express View and Rogers Cable to, to carry these. And the fact that they own both is problematic for me as a new network. It's almost like a duopoly has drawbacks. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe Shaw at West carries it with no problem, but who knows, right? So, yeah, y- you have to get carriage. Um, and that's going to be a huge hurdle. And then there's, yeah, like, like, you know, the Leafs, 
essentially, you know, they, they sell their rights and they, they sell their rights to TSN and Sportsnet. And, and in turn, TSN and Sportsnet give them an agreed upon fat check, right? Mm-hmm. Although the, the check is never quite as fat as MLSE wanted, um, but you got a check regardless. So you can take that to your board and say, here, this is money in the bank. If you take that away and say, oh, okay, we're going to sell all the rights and we're going to leverage our partnerships, um, can you replace that money? Um, are you guaranteed? I, I think you probably are. But uh, are you guaranteed to, to be able to recoup that money uh, even though you are now the one who's selling it? And then you get into other more existential questions, which is you know, if you take a young TFC franchise, which again, um, pardon my language, but was still horseshit yep. back then. It was going to be horseshit for a long, long time afterwards. Um, you take them and put them behind a paywall. Uh, you take the Raptors, um, again, who had had some early success, but were very far still from the Kawhi Leonard Raptors, the Kyle Lowry Raptors, and you put them behind a paywall. Are you limiting the potential growth of your fan base? And are you stunting you know, the growth of you know, um, your, your audience by putting them behind a paywall? Now, today... Um, you know, had this had this discussion been unfolding today when you have streaming options and the, the process is, again, still controlled by two companies, but um, a little bit more democratized. I think it'd be a more interesting conversation when you get into streaming rights and that sort of thing. But um, I think real sports was doomed by by timing. Now, whether or not that alone spurred Rogers and Bell to team up on that, whatever it was, one point three something billion dollar yeah. purchase. Um I don't know. There are folks in the business community who say absolutely not. It's hogwash. Um, but it is an interesting discussion. How do you think that relationship has has panned out, these two companies owning this? Uh, and I, I think about the Leafs mostly, but obviously, I, like your point about the Raptors is is really important there because, yeah, if you put the Raptors at the time, I think they were still, I saw a number not too long ago that's, you know, the 2011 home opener drew 65 or 70,000 viewers on television. Um, if which you, is, which is for context, not good. It is not good. And so if you put that behind a paywall, it says, no, you have to pay for this expensive other premier premium channel. They never grow. Whereas the fact that they're on TSN and Sportsnet every night, um, does allow them to grow. But this relationship over, it's gotta be almost 10 years now that, uh, that these two companies have owned MLSE, like it, it's led to some really odd choices. And I, I understand like they're still trying to operate their own businesses. So on Tuesday night, we want the TSN crew to call the game. And so that game might be in San Jose. And instead of just letting them both call the Anaheim game the next night, no, now we'll fly the Sportsnet crew out the next night. And like even on stupid little things, maybe this isn't that stupid or little, but like climate change and things like that. Do we really need to be sending two TV crews to California to cover the same team on back-to-back nights? Like we could maybe be at at cost, like just on financial reason, it makes no sense. Like it seems like we could be allowing, uh, I don't know, TSN takes the Florida trip and Sportsnet takes the California trip, but they still seem, even though they're in partnership over this uh, owning this thing, they're still trying to run their own separate channels and they still now have to compete in some ways that create just these really weird situations. And to bring it back to radio too, like, do you ever know what night of the week the Leafs might be on the no, fan? No, I have no idea. <laughs> or, or, you know, the Raptors run to the final, like one night it's on Sportsnet, one night it's on TSN. Um, I, I, I mean, it took me a long time. I'm still not 100% sure I'm, I know you know, who works for which network. Right. When it comes time, oh, I, I really wanted to see Kayla Gray. Oh, no, she's at TSN. Oh, I really wanted to see, 
you know, whoever else. Mm-hmm. And, oh, they work for the other network. So um, viewership patterns, all of that stuff. Hey, you don't get into my leaf game is always on channel 30 or whatever. Yeah, my no, leaf game is always on channel 30. I always, you know, you're going to settle in, um, you know, with your, your warm glass of milk and cookies, <laughs> settle back and you're going to watch person X, Y, Z, right? Like, sure. like Kate Burness is always going to be the host or Carolyn Cameron's always going to be the host. Yep. And like, you can settle into those viewer patterns because that's the thing a lot about consumption patterns and people, I mean, maybe this is mostly sports radio, but I, I think it does translate to that. You know, we are kind of creatures of habit mm-hmm. when it comes to what we like and what we don't like and how we consume things. Right. So, um, I think by jostling that, um, you know, I, 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 I think there is an impact. What the impact is, I'm not a hundred percent because if you want to watch the Leafs, you're still going to watch the Leafs. Sure. Like you'll watch them on your local cable access if you have to. <laughs> but, um, when we're talking about growth, we're talking about all of these things, I really do think that does come to play into play into what we're talking about. Uh, one of the last things on this subject I wondered was how Joe Bowen ended up back on the radio. And at the time that uh, before MLSE was purchased by Bell and by Rogers, when you watched a regional Leaf game on uh, on TSN, it was still usually Joe Bowen. And a regional Leaf game on Sportsnet, it was still usually Joe Bowen. And he was the Leafs guy on both networks. And then TSN and Bell, or TSN and Sportsnet now have to split the games once Bell and Rogers have bought the team. And it seemed, and this is where I'm hoping you'll correct me if I'm wrong, it seemed like TSN now has these two high-profile national game quality play-by-play guys in Gord Miller and Chris Cuthbert, and no more national games to call uh, on the NHL side. of th- So we're going to put those guys on the Leafs, and then Sportsnet goes, well, I guess we'll just put our own guys on the Leafs and Joe Bowen goes back to radio. Is that how that played out to your knowledge or, or what was the, the shuffling of the deck that pushed him off of TV? So I'm not a hundred percent on this. I don't, I, I mean, I, I probably either heard it or maybe reported something along this, but I don't have my notes in front of me. So please forgive me. Don't, don't murder me in the comments <laughs> if I get this wrong, but I believe the way that that worked is back in the olden days, there was a thing called Molestar Communications, mm-hmm. right? So um, it basically owned, it carried the broadcast rights. And, and I believe Joe was a employee of Molestar. Right. So, um, you know, Molestar produced the games. Uh, and, you know, this is going back to, I think, you know, when it was on CHTV or Global sure. TV, like the true regional stuff. And that's when he was on. And then when Molestar kind of went away because the two TV networks got involved, then that was, that was, that was going to be the end, Hmm. you know, and then it was up to the networks to say, we want Joe and and Jim in. And I mean, they want, wanted their own people, I believe. I think that that might not be gospel. Um, but I believe that's how that shook. There are still Twitter people screaming, bring back Joe on, uh, on both networks. I don't think it's coming anytime soon, but, uh, no, I think, I think Joe is going to be on the radio. And I mean, the, the challenging thing is there too, like when, when they don't travel and they aren't traveling, no. um, you know, that like he, he wasn't traveling for the first round of the playoffs that, um, you know, there's no guarantee that, you know, should the Leafs ever win a playoff round. And again, that might not happen during any of our lifetimes, right. um, that he and Jim might be calling it either from a booth up at channel nine court for TSN or down at one Mount Pleasant for Sportsnet that they might not be in, you know, Boston or Montreal or Tampa or wherever it is that that mythical playoff win will, will unfold, <laughs> that they're, they're covering it off too. 
Uh, last thing I have for you then, and, and this one's a little bit awkward, but my listeners will kill me because we were complaining about this on the last episode. So let me put you Uh-oh. on the spot for a second. You are a sports media guy, but you also work for The Athletic. And The Athletic recently informed us uh, we're going to be getting ads as we uh, we move forward. And, you know, there was, you know, probably not surprisingly some blowback saying, you know, one of the reasons I subscribed was to avoid the ads. And I am one of those people. I'm also now not one of those people immediately jumping up and down screaming, I'm out, I'm done, I'm whatever. Like any other um, product, you reevaluate as you go. Is this still, a, you know, a valuable does the cost still justify what I'm getting for this for me? And and so that is, but what do you think went into the decision? Cause I assume it was made above your head uh, to, no, I made it. That was wholly my decision. <laughs> yeah. A company um, with, you know, however many hundreds of people, they, <laughs> they said, you know what, we're going to go to East York, Ontario for this one. And we're going to get the bald man's opinion <laughs> on it. What do you think went into that decision? I know they've also, there's new ownership as uh it's now owned by the New York times, but, um, were you surprised to see that ads were going to become a part of this? Was it inevitable? This uh, little utopia we've all been living in was going to uh, was going to fall at some point? Or what do you think of uh, of the decision? <laughs> Again, going back to I was on vacation, right? Okay, uh, and just recently got back, so I came back and my inbox was filled with everything from everything. I mean, uh, I, I get league game reports, I get betting odds, I get, you know, occasional actual email, um, <laughs> sifting through all of that stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, businesses evolve, mm-hmm. right? Things change. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I have two things that I know for sure. One is there are very smart business people in the world, and two is that I am not one of them. <laughs> so... Those decisions were made by the New York Times, which I think is an arguably a leading media company in the world. Mm-hmm. And I mean, at that point, yeah, you know what? I'm going to defer to them because I have a Bachelor of Applied Arts um, and just barely got that too. And that thing's 20 years old. So I, <laughs> I do not have the ability to comment on, on bringing advertising in. I think that's fair. And uh, now I can at least say to the listeners I asked. And so there you go. I'm off the hook too. Um, this is always fun, Sean. I appreciate it. I, as you know, I'm a nerd for the sports media side of things. I'm as often as fascinated as by, as in what's happening behind the scenes on the media side as I am with what's happening on the field or, uh, or on the ice or whatever. So I appreciate you making some time for me when I come calling. No, thanks for having me. All right, there he goes. That was Sean Fitzgerald. Always great to talk to him. Um, always really generous with his time. And uh, as you guys all know from listening to the show, I'm a uh, I'm a big time sports media nerd. Don't forget, late in the day on Wednesday, Arden Zwelling will be on the podcast to talk all things Blue Jays. Of course, he covers them uh, all year long for Sportsnet. So looking forward to catching up with him. He hasn't been on since. That might be May. I think it was in the middle of the blackout the last time he was on. I still had no power here in the studio, so. Uh, I think we recorded that in uh, in Amy's backyard because there was some cell service, so I could get a phone signal through and uh, and yeah, get out of this uh, my my darkened condo building. But uh, we'll uh, look forward to catching up with him. And uh, Shrides returns on Thursday. We'll be over at the Nita uh, Beer Company. Uh, we're going to do a show from the brewery. Uh, it will be the usual kind of sports news and notes show that you're used to. And then Andy Nita. Uh, will join us towards the end of the show to talk about uh, their uh, Oktoberfest event, which is coming up this Saturday, the 24th, and then uh, the launch of the annual 
uh, Ontario craft beer advent calendar that Nita fronts here uh, and puts together. So lots coming up in the uh, the craft beer industry as well. We'll look forward to uh, to talking to him about all of that coming up later this week. It is a jam-packed week. Hope you guys are, uh, are looking forward to it as much as we do. Hope we will see you on the next episode of Tall Can Audio. Until then, my name's Matt Robinson. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll catch you later. We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun. But now the time has come to go. If this still clown was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven still doing this show. See you some other time! <laughs> <laughs> Ugh.